There is a God. He loves you. And he has handcrafted you for a marvelous purpose. I'm Brother Billy Hatridge, and thank you for listening to the Hatridge Sermons. We're going to do quite a bit of reading out of Romans chapter 8, but, you know, the past several Sundays I've talked a lot about how important it is that we follow God's will, about how we do the things that He has commanded us to do, about how we honor those commandments, those covenants, about how we strive to love our neighbors and to forgive, and and how so much of who we are as Christians rely on our ability to carry out His will here on this earth. Because again, and I've said this countless times, but when you look through the scripture, you see that the biggest way God influences this earth is through people like you and me. God didn't come down himself and pull the Israelites up out of Egypt. No, he called on Moses to do so. He called on so many prophets to deliver his messages to the masses. And he called on our Apostles to write the Gospels. Jesus himself, God made flesh, wasn't even responsible for writing down his message. No, he called on men and women, just like you and I, to help share that message. And so it's important for all of us to understand that each one of us here today are servants of the Lord just as much as Moses or David or Elijah. And it, and it can seem like that's not the case, right? Because those are these big biblical heroes who did these great feats and these great accomplishments. But truth be told, he has a plan for each one of us that is as important to the world as a whole as every single one of the characters that we read about in the Scripture. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes quite a bit about God's will, about our roles as servants of the Lord. In chapter 8 of Romans, verse 18, it states, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body. For we are we're saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And I wanted to talk first about that first verse, verse 18, that our sufferings in this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that we will receive. Think about that. The suffering that we have today is not worthy to be compared to what is to come. That what is to come for each and every one of us as believers is so far beyond anything we can imagine that the pains and the sufferings and the the hardships that we face in our mortal lives are insignificant in comparison to the glory. Insignificant. 
unworthy to be compared. Last weekend I was working with the the skill saw and I wasn't wearing any gloves but I could feel splinters kind of hitting my hands and I was looking down and I saw that I was getting pelted a little bit by this rough lumber that I was cutting and but I knew that that was insignificant, right? It didn't, I didn't have to stop what I was doing. I didn't have to go and, and, and pull them out with tweezers or wash my hands or bandage anything. I knew that it was just these small little inconveniences that even though it kind of stung a little bit, but I just moved on. It wasn't like I cut my thumb off or anything or bashed it with a sledgehammer like I did a summer ago. But we all know what that's like, right? These small inconveniences that aren't even worth our notice. That they, they pop up in our peripherals or in our minds, but we know how insignificant they are and we don't let them stop us from what we're doing. We're driving down I-30 and there's a fly in the car. We don't start swatting at it and, and take our eyes off the road. No, we just take it for what it is. It's unworthy to be compared to the challenge that is ahead of us. And so all of these things that we deal with in our daily lives that we think are so big, so major, so life-changing, these, these pains, these ailments, these challenges, they, they are just that. They are these gnats in our lives that are distracting us from the glory of the God that we serve. They're insignificant. They're so small. But in that moment, it's really hard to think of it that way. When we're excruciating pain or agony or, or, or hardship or heartache, that it's in those moments that we that we struggle with seeing anything beyond that. That's how distractions work. We just can't stop thinking about what's causing us pain there in that moment. This morning, you know, Addie was has been sick and she didn't sleep good last night, and so I got up with her this morning and. And I got my coffee and I was sitting there in the rocker and I was holding her and I could feel my arm going to sleep. Going to sleep, going to sleep. And then finally it went numb. <laughs> and when she finally woke up and Kim finally came into the room, I stood up and that arm woke up. And pins and needles shot through my arm as those nerves started firing once again. And in that moment, and I'm sure all of you can relate. You can't think of anything beyond that sensation in your arm. You can't think clearly. Kim's trying to ask me these questions. I'm like, hang on, let me let this arm wake up and then I can concentrate and focus on what you're trying to tell me. All right, we've all been there, especially when we muddled with those allergies or a headache or anything like that, 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 that takes away our focus and our ability to concentrate on what's right in front of us. Or maybe we're just in a hurry and someone's trying to have a conversation with us, but we can't focus on them because we're too distracted and too preoccupied. But that's what he's writing about here. These sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory. We get so distracted by our sufferings, by the things that pull us away from God, away from His will, away from everything that He has in store for us. But that the glory that will be revealed not just in God, but in each and every one of us. And it goes on in the scripture and it talks about the creation. It talks about what awaits us. It talks about the redemption of our body that we eagerly await. And how wonderful is that, knowing that when our time has come, we don't ascend as we are today, but in our full glory, fully magnified. 100% the people that we are supposed to be. Our souls 
magnified to a level that we today cannot understand or comprehend. The best versions of ourselves. But it says in verse 24, We were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? And if you recall a Sunday or two ago, I had mentioned that where there is hope, there is also doubt. Right? That there's a difference between hoping something happens and knowing something's going to happen because hope always gives a little bit of room for doubt, for questioning. But he, Paul writes here that once you see it, once you know it, there is no hope. Because we don't hope for what we see. Right? I don't hope that when I jump up, I'm going to land back on the ground because I see the ground. Because I know it's under my feet. And he talks about this because it's so important for us to understand where we are as servants of the Lord. But it continues in verse 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know that what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. So it talks about two different powers that are working in our favor. It talks about the Spirit of God who is here to empower us to do the things that we're supposed to be doing for God. And this is an important thing because all of us, I think, have come across some moment in our life where we know what God wants us to do. Right? Maybe it's a big picture thing. He knows what He wants us to do for our career. He knows where He wants us to live. He knows what church He wants us to go to. Or maybe it's a smaller thing. You know that this day in particular, he wants you to talk to so-and-so. Or you feel called to donate this to the church or the food pantry. You feel called to do these small moments. But so many times when we feel like we know what God's calling is, we doubt it, our possibility of achieving it. We doubt whether or not we're able to do these things. Because we forget that we have God's power behind us. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And here it says in Romans that he's got the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the core responsibilities of that Holy Spirit. It's to descend upon the followers of God and to empower them to do the things that they do not think they can. And we can't 
truthfully, none of us by ourselves can fully carry out what God has called on us to do. We can't follow the commandments. We can't follow the rules. We can't follow the golden rule of loving our neighbor as ourselves alone as sinners. We know that. That's what the entire Old Testament is summarizing, that we are flawed and that we have these challenges in living up to the best example of what a servant of Christ can be. But he has these two powerful powers at the ready, on standby, ready to help us wherever we need them. The first, of course, is the Holy Spirit that descends upon us and gives us a a clear mind, a, a passionate heart, bodily strength, whatever it might be in that moment that we need, the Holy Spirit is there to provide that for us. But the second thing that Paul writes about is Jesus Christ himself. That he comes as an intercession for us, between us and God, a mediator. That even when we fall, even when we stumble, even when we make errors and we mess up and we make mistakes, that Jesus is there with his mercy and his forgiveness to make sure that we are not punished for those flaws, for those mistakes. And Paul knows a lot about what it means to be a flawed human being. If you think for a moment that you are sin-stained, that you are too dirty, filthy, vile to be forgiven, look at the life that Paul had leading up to his salvation. His name was Saul, officer of the Roman army, persecuted and executed, countless Christians, all for the name of Rome. He served a government before he served God, and before he served his fellow man. But when he met Jesus on the road that day, he changed his life forever and found a new calling. A calling that was so powerful, so important, that 2,000 years later we are still writing letters that he wrote to small churches just like this one. It says in verse 34, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who is he who condemns? How great is it knowing that it's Jesus? That when it comes down to the man who is deciding our fate, who is deciding what eternal life that we all get at the end of days, that it is Christ. Because we see that example of that. We see in His power, in His mercy. Because every time we look at that cross, we know what He was willing to do for each and every one of us. And to condemn us to hell is to undo His very salvation. He died on the cross so that we could join Him in heaven. But the scripture continues in verse 35. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
tribulation, challenges, death itself. And Paul writes, he says, there's nothing that can separate us. No depth, no heights. I think of the song, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, right? That is the love that Christ has for us, that when He died on that cross, all of that mercy, all of that, all of that salvation was so unconditional that there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from that mercy. And not just physical things, not just time and space. He talks about angels, principalities and powers. The very demons of the world that cannot separate us from Him. And it's an interesting side note, by the way, that he says that not even angels can separate us from the power of God, from the love of God. And we think, well, aren't angels serving God? But remember about Lucifer, old Satan, and all the other angels that fell with him, and all these other spiritual cosmic beings that are so much more powerful than any of us could ever dream of being. That's why we rely on Christ. That's why we rely on Him each and every day because without Him, we are completely, utterly powerless against those forces. And not just against evil spiritual forces, but just against the world itself and how desperately it is trying to get us to conform to it. And it's easy to look out today and see how desperately the world as a whole wants Christians to conform to the ideals that it wants us to have. But let's not forget that even the earliest of believers fell into that same trap. All the way back in the Old Testament, all the way back in the book of Genesis, we see this. People so desperately wanting to conform to the world, to do things like their neighbors were doing it, to do things like the country next door was doing it, to move away from the God who loved them and cared for them towards something that that was pleasing and, and fulfilling then in the moment, but was so very fleeting we see that with kids right christmas is coming up and i think about how now that addie's two and a half this is going to be a different christmas than it was last year but any of you with kids you know those kids who in that moment they're on the christmas tree they open up a gift and they're so excited about this toy and it seems like this thing is everything they've ever wanted in life. It's, it's, it's the very pinnacle of existence for them. Their identity is wrapped up in this new toy or whatever it might be. And then a week later, it's like it doesn't exist. They've forgotten about it. they moved on to the next thing. And sometimes we as adults are guilty of that too. That's what finding meaning in the world does to us. It doesn't keep us full very long because it's not really fulfilling. I know I commented on, on it all the time, but it's like when I get off work after a long day and I know I don't need sugar. I know I don't. I know I don't need caffeine. I know it's just going to make me crash that it's not going to be a, a prolonged uh, energy boost. But I can't help myself. I just need, in that moment, just a quick sugar rush to, to wake me up and get me home. And then sure enough, 8.45, I'm there in the dark, rock and Addy, and I'm out like a light. I know what things are better for my body to keep me energized. I know I should probably go for a run, drink a lot of water. But we do that in our spiritual lives also. We know what is actually fulfilling. 
We know what is actually good for us spiritually. We know these things that we need to rely on, but we keep conforming to the world and calling on things for a quick fix. We've had a long day, so we just want to veg out in front of the TV, or we want to rant and rave, or we want to do these things that, that give us these temporary fixes to the pains and the ailments that we face. But we forget about the true power that God has. And it's not just salvation, it's not just the Scripture, but it's His ability to come to us as the Holy Spirit, through Jesus and His mercy, to ensure that everything that He has planned for us in our life, no matter how big, no matter how small, whether He's calling us to move mountains or molehills, He's got the power and the tools to help us do so. We often neglect God's will because we don't think it's in our power. We don't think it's in our reach. We don't think that we're able to do so. We're too broke. We're too old. We're too weak. We don't know enough to do it. But God has called on us each and every day to be His servants, to create a better world, the world that He envisioned so long ago that He put Adam and Eve in charge of. He's got this great divine plan that is indeed so far beyond our own understanding. If you ever meet a holy man who tells you he understands this in its entirety, run away quickly. Because a lot of it is not for us to understand. But the beauty of it is, is whether we understand it or not, he has given us the tools to do so. To carry out his will, and more importantly, to carry out his commandments. I've talked a lot about forgiveness and love and mercy the last several months. And some of you have come to me and talked about how hard it is to do that. But it's just a reminder that it's not on you and you alone to love your neighbor. We can't. Me as Billy Hatridge, I don't have the capacity in my heart to love every stranger I see on the street. That's why I have to rely on God. That's why I have to rely on His Holy Spirit on His power. Because it is through that that I am able to do all things through Christ. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank You for Your Scripture, Lord. Lord, we thank You for this writing from, from Paul, this clarification on what we indeed can accomplish in our lives. That God has such a great plan for each and every one of us and that that plan, no matter how big or how small it might be, is possible that you have given us the tools that you have given us intercessions through christ power through the holy spirit lord god that you have enabled us to do all things that you have called on us to do even things like loving our neighbors even things like forgiving unconditionally all of these things are possible Lord, we just ask that you forgive us for our sins, that you forgive us for all the times that we've walked away from your word, that we've ignored your power, that we've doubted ourselves, that we've conformed to the world instead of being transformed through the Spirit. And Lord God, we just pray that you give us the strength, the wisdom, and the love to forgive others as Christ loved us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Harridge Sermons. If you feel led to donate to my message or to this show, I ask that you simply donate your time or money to a local food pantry, charity, or mission. And if you ever find yourself in Southwest Arkansas, feel free to visit. We'd love to have you. You can find us at the Ben Loman Cumberland Presbyterian Church at 10 a.m. or the Brownstown Community Church at 11. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'd love to see you. Thank you.